This is episode 123 of AA Beyond Belief. Today's episode features a recording of the anniversary celebration for the We Agnostics and Free Thinkers groups in Kansas City, Missouri. We Agnostics was celebrating their fifth anniversary and Free Thinkers their fourth. The evening started with Kevin P. speaking for a few minutes about the Free Thinkers group and Kana C. spoke on behalf of the We Agnostics group. This was followed by the featured speaker, Joe C. from Toronto's Beyond Belief group. It was a fun evening, and we're grateful to Joe for taking the time to do this. Everyone enjoyed meeting him, and his talk was excellent. Good evening. My name is Kevin Patterson. I'm an alcoholic. I use both my names because I'm officially out. (laughs) Uh, To my fellows in AA, my last name is, I always use it, Um, not at... uh, level of press, but uh, do otherwise. But um, uh, Freethinkers was um, a rip-off of uh, Wig Gnostics. <laughs> and we, uh, uh, there were two other gentlemen with me that uh, the three of us, um, uh, Richard Wright, uh, had found a group, had uh, been told about a group uh, of agnostics meeting over at the UU Church. And I wasn't sure, but he was telling the truth until I never heard of that. And it came at a time when I was um, disappointed with my home group. I uh, was tired of being uh, harassed for the crosstalk with the crosstalk about being an atheist. And um, we walked in, and it was, it was everything that I was looking for in the group. It was secular, and it was very intellectual, and it was... Uh, very uh, warm and friendly and inviting. So um, since they were on, uh, the only nights they had were Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then they did have the Sunday meeting, uh, they were having that. And then one other one, Friday hadn't started yet. So um, I thought, well, why not start a group where we have a, a Monday to Wednesday? So we found a church which is, um, Hard to do. I used to pitch a church for an atheist meeting in their basement. Uh, this particular church, the other churches would either not get back with me or they would tell me that no, no, thank you. So I had a, several churches turn us down. And uh, this church was just the opposite. They, uh, they were the, one of the last ones I called. And they were very, uh, very welcoming, and I told them we'd be agnostics and atheists and all sorts of in between. And they were uh, cool with that and very, uh, very receptive to it. So we ended up in the, the Undercroft, uh, not the Undercroft, the um, it's called something else, uh, Old English. Um, up there, uh, the, one of it is it's their basement, but it's a nice space. <laughs> As usual, we're in the basement. I believe he always points it out. You mean the church? Uh, <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, but uh, it's a very comfortable space, and it's right across the street. So uh, come visit some night and see what we do. And uh, I'm uh, amazed to see this many people out here. And recognize most of most of you, and that is great uh, that you uh, that we 
we've all come out and as uh, two groups in the sector community in Kansas City obviously is growing. So thank you much. Thank you. And for the We Agnostics group, I've asked Kana to say a few words. Okay. Okay. Um, I only started going to uh, meetings about a year and a half ago, officially a year and a half ago yesterday. And um, uh, when I decided, you know, to Google AA to figure out, you know, just to do that, and they had like locations, and the first one that showed up was We Agnostics, and I didn't really think about um, what it would be like to go to a regular meeting. meeting because I, you know, I'd never been and I didn't know what it was like and I didn't realize how religious a lot of that, like I read the um, traditional steps and I was really surprised by how much God talk there was in it. And um, so I was fortunate enough to just happen upon this. And I, I've been to a few other meetings at, you know, traditional places, but other than that, I've really just been to these, you know, meetings. And it's been, you know, I know almost everyone in this room and, and so I don't really need to tell you much about our group but it's been it's been great and I mean I you know it's been everything that I've looked for and more you know everything I wanted and more in a group and it's just been really great and I've been fortunate enough to be um, leading a meeting for about a year and three months now and um, it's you know and that that you know if anybody wants to start leading me just let me know <laughs> it's been a great experience but you know it, it can be a bit much sometimes <laughs> yeah continuous service but um i i am just so pleased that we have all these wonderful people and that we've pulled off this party and that all of you come to celebrate it and i will Leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Okay, so Joe C. Um, I first got to know Joe through his podcast, Rebellion Dogs Radio. And I don't know if anybody that I've met in the secular AA community had more of an impact on my journey as an atheist and alcoholics anonymous than to Joe. Um, I remember in some of Joe's podcasts, he would talk about the importance of service in AA. And I didn't know anything about that. I've been in AA for 25 years. I didn't know anything about their service structure or anything, but he would talk about it. And one thing in particular I remember him saying, um, he would talk about the importance of being um, good stewards of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'd never heard of that before, but it kind of hit me that, you know, this is a fellowship that means a lot to me. And um, yeah, you know, I, I have some responsibility to be a good steward for it. So yeah, he's, he's it, and, I, and I'm not the only one he's influenced. There's been many, many, many people who have benefited from the things that Joe has written and said, and it's just really great to have you here, Joe. So um, Joe is also the author of Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life, which I know a lot of you have read. Um, that's a great book, by the way. You can tell a person who wrote that book is pretty smart. You know, there's a lot of 
Fancy quotes, man. <laughs> anyway, I don't think I'm going to take up any more of Joe's time. Uh, please uh, help me introduce uh, Joe C. I'm going to go ahead and start the time. Joe. I'm Joe, and I'm an alcoholic. Or an addict. If uh, you know you're one of the new cool kids, I uh, suffer from substance use disorder. But uh, I mean, none of those things uh, I feel a stigma about. You know, you can call me a dipsomaniac, a inebriate, a, a drunkard. Uh, you know, um, but because you know, I've come to being in AA, know who I am, and. Uh, I, that, that's a, a wonderful thing, but, and, but I know other people feel certain stigmas to certain labels, and some people like to identify themselves as being in recovery, not from where they came from, but you know where they are now or where they're going to, and all that sort of thing. Uh, you said something about uh, writing and writers, and, and I'll share with you something. Uh, uh, and you know, my book honestly was just 365 plagiarized ideas. <laughs> uh, and uh, but uh, the uh, what a course I took on writing, uh, the instructor said uh, there um, has never been um, a great writer uh, in the history of English language, but there have been a few. Uh, a handful, maybe, of good rewriters, and and all of those good rewriters have, you know, editors and influencers and people that review their stuff. Um, Lisa, who traveled with me, it, her name doesn't appear in the book in any way, and I don't mean to embarrass her at all. But I had uh, two editors. One was, uh, which few people know, was a Sunday school teacher, and the other was such a materialist atheist that, you know, what is this spirituality? What are you talking about? The non-material. What is the non-material? You know, so, so one is there, and one is Noah's Ark, right? Okay, and uh, so uh, each daily reflection, if the book had been what I started my journey on, it would have been a chip on the shoulder, oh yeah, uh, to heck with you and, and your God and the cloud he rolled in on type of uh, book, right? It would have been my therapy. Uh, and, uh, it, it, but it grew to something else. And so it had to meet both of those editors' approval to make it in the book. And if I couldn't fix it to meet both of those standards, it, it didn't go in. But uh, Lisa lives with me. She's, a, a, she's no cheerleader, she's a lawyer. And, uh, you know, so she has a very analytical mind, and uh, uh, she would uh, review these things, and, and she was very good at going, the, the, you know, here's one of her, the, the lines I remember the most. Joe, you, you wrote this, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Pretty poetic, eh? <laughs> well, well, Joe, you write it as if it's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I don't know, right? It's just it was a truth to me, but you know, some of the things I know to be true are correct. And then there's the rest of them, right? And uh, so it, it, it was uh, uh, punishing and helpful, right? And, and sometimes you go, this, this just doesn't work. I go, okay, well, how do I fix it? 
that's your job. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and I, I remember one time, uh, like she was busy, she's got a life, right? You know, but uh, she said, uh, I've got some time, do you want me to uh, review a couple of your daily reflections? I said, not tonight, honey, I'm not feeling strong enough. <laughs> but, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum, right? You know, nobody starts a meeting by themselves because it's not a meeting until somebody else shows up. And, and uh, you know, everybody had helpers. And, and every, uh, every meeting, every book, every uh, podcast, you know, had, uh, you know, there was a path, right? And, and the on button goes on in the middle of that story, right? And so there's, a, there's sort of the story of the story. Um, but that wasn't what I was going to talk about. Uh, I, I wanted to tell you that um, I got sober uh, what feels like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Because there were times in my journey that I felt like the AA I knew wasn't here anymore. It, it, it didn't exist. It, it, like I, I felt like a, a stranger in my hometown. And um, it, uh, like it wasn't, uh, galaxy far, far away. It was Montreal, and uh, and and that you know isn't that far from Toronto where I live now. It's like a five-hour drive. Uh, culturally, it's quite different. You know, it's more of a sort of European kind of city than Toronto is. I describe Toronto as a thank God it's Monday town. People love what they do for a living. It makes them very important. And you know, if you ask them what they do, they will tell you what their profession is. Or if you're in Vancouver or in Montreal and you ask someone what they do, they'll tell you what they love, right? I'm a gardener, I'm a sailor, I'm you know, a skier, you know, you know, they've got they don't even think about what they do to make a living and feed the kids and all that sort of thing. So, so you know, culturally, uh, Montreal and Toronto are, are different places for sure. Um, and, um, and so the, the meetings, of course, are going to have a different flavor, just regionally. And also, the time I got sober, uh, it was, uh, well, disco. So, you know, don't hold me responsible for that. But, uh, you know, uh, that's what was going on. That was the scene, uh, you know, in sort of, uh, you know, mid-70s uh, AA uh, is where I sort of came here. And, uh, you know, I didn't think I had a problem and quietly research Alcoholics Anonymous and kill myself. That's, again, people's first day of sobriety is maybe where... Uh, the, you press play and the story begins, but there's a whole story behind that story too, right? And you know, uh, you all come from families. You shake any family tree, one or two drunks fall out of the tree, right? you know, the family tree. And, and I wasn't the first AA member in my family tree, so I'm like a second generation uh, AA. And uh, I've got, you know, cousins and siblings and others that are in AA where uh, we, we, we weren't great drinkers <laughs> uh, in terms of, you know, drinking like gentlemen and, and ladies, but, uh, you know, uh, 
many of us have found the, found the room. So, uh, you know, I, I knew of AA before I considered AA for myself. Uh, I wasn't living with my mother at the time. I, I was still a teenager when I was sort of hitting bottom. But um, when she joined AA, um, it was, uh, she was really annoying. <laughs> I mean, she came to it from uh, Al-Anon. Her second husband, she was going to get him sober. And, uh, you know, that was her thing. But, you know, they seemed to cry a lot in the Al-Anon meetings and laugh a lot in the AA meetings. <laughs> going on in there? And, and then she started identifying with those stories more. And uh, not that, you know, she didn't have an Al-Anon side to her, but she... Uh, came to understand that she too was an alcoholic. And um, so she was, you know, she came to AA trying to sober up somebody else. And, uh, you know, uh, so she figured she was pretty much an expert on getting people sober. And, uh, you know, we're a, a notorious family of two-steppers. Admitting I'm an alcoholic, and so are you. And let's do the 20 questions again. Denial isn't a river in Egypt, you know. And, yeah. I mean, can we just talk about those 20 questions, please? Those uh, John Hopkins 20 questions. Like I was in high school at the time, and to tell me that Joe, if you get three out of 20 of these right, you go on to the next grade. That would have been great, but that's not how the world works, right? Like, who believes this stuff? If like any self-respecting drinker who got 15 out of 20 would say, give me two weeks, I'll get the other five, right? You know, you know like, uh, they seem like badges of honor. Yes, shame and that sort of thing. But going up was always worth the coming down. Right? And uh, until the point, right? So, uh, so I was uh, introduced to AA. I knew about AA. After uh, you know, jails, institutions, and death. I was uh, very quickly in the Lakeshore General Hospital in the West Island of Montreal, uh, three times between the ages of 14 and 16. Uh, after a high school dance, I was found the next morning by the, you'll love this Canadian reference, the Zamboni driver for our arena. Uh, you know, uh, he found me in the uh, boys' washroom, face up in my own vomit, thought for dead called an ambulance, and I, I lived through that. They pumped my stomach and sent me home. Uh, the next time I, I was in the hospital, I'd been, uh, uh, you know, it's hard as a teenage alcoholic to make ends meet. So I was uh, selling uh, drugs uh, just to friends and, you know, people on the street. And, uh, you know, trying to be a good neighbor in school, you know. And uh, it was explained to me, you see, I was new to this business, and uh, I wasn't like a union guy. I was just, uh, you know, sort of independent contractor. And the uh, Hell's Angels explained to me, two motorcycle guys came, they followed me out of uh, the uh, tavern. And I was going to hitchhike home, and they explained to me in stereo that uh, I wasn't going to be selling uh, in their territory. So I was there having my nose reconstructed and uh, other injuries dealt with my second trip to the hospital. And the third time, my girlfriend had left me, and to show her how romantic I was, I was, I was going to kill myself. And um, that can lead to death. It's very uh, <laughs> recommending it. Uh, uh, yeah, but it, 
what it led to was it's it's I'm waiting in emergency. It's now two o'clock in the morning. I've sobered up. I don't feel romantic. I feel embarrassed. I feel humiliated. You know, it's August. I'm going to get my wrist stitched up. I'm going to have to wear long sleeve shirts for the rest of summer. And like you know, I just I just wanted a do over, right? Can we just can I just have one more try at this particular day? And, and uh, yeah, I, it was just, those were my three trips to the hospital. So sometimes, you know, uh, the alcoholic, the sober alcoholic in the family would hear about these things, and Joe, don't you think you have a problem? Either. I would go to a meeting just so she would shut up. Right? It seemed to be the path of least resistance. I'll go to a meeting, right? Don't know if anyone's ever gone to a meeting for that reason, but that's how I found AA. And uh, so I would go and uh, I would compare myself with these people who were older than me, these people who were different than me, um, you know. And and the other thing was was your solution, this uh, sobriety. Uh, it sounds like a quitter's solution to me. Uh, you know, I was of the. Uh, uh, Thomas Edison approach. He uh, invented the incandescent light bulb, of course, and uh, after 10,000 times of failing to create the incandescent light bulb, so it hadn't been done, no one was sure it could ever be done. He was interviewed by a journalist. It, uh, history would show it would take him 4,000 more attempts to create the incandescent light bulb, but he was interviewed by this uh, journalist who said, how does it feel, Mr. Edison, to fail? 10,000 times at one single experiment. And his attitude was, young man, you're young, you know, you're a skeptic. I haven't failed 10,000 times. I successfully found 10,000 times it will never work. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so that was my attitude about finding a way to get the benefits of drinking without suffering the consequences. That, that it was just, you guys all quit at 10,000 bad experiences, and I was gonna punch through and find it, right? And uh, it didn't work out that way. But, so I, I didn't want what you had. If you want what we have, no thank you. Nothing personal, uh, but it, it just sobriety seemed like a provisional life, right? Like, a, you know, an asterisk. Right, not it didn't seem like a James Bond kind of, you know, adventure. Right, you know, and uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was gonna try to find the way to, you know, for someone like me who was really a heavy social drinker with bad luck, to just sort of, you know, <laughs> win at the casino. Right. So, um, so I would, uh, so you know, hanging around my mother's place, not a lot of fun. Joe, are you still drinking? Yes, just a little. What's a little? Blah blah blah. Right, it ruins the whole day. Just there for dinner. And uh, so I remember I went over and she said, "So Joe, you still drinking?" I said, "No, I quit." And she knew I was lying. <laughs> I knew I was lying, but I could see no one taught her the rebuttal for "No, I quit." Right? So so she gritted her teeth and we had dinner. And, uh, so, <laughs> and uh, so that worked for two or three times in a row. And then uh, next time, so Joey, you still drinking? No, quit. Thanks for checking in. Man, it's been going great. Hope you're doing well too. And, uh, you know, she said, fantastic. 
Fantastic. Uh oh. Well, why? Well, remember your cousin Elaine. And uh, yeah, I love Elaine. Elaine was a day and a month older than me. Never let me forget it. Uh, now, when you're on the other side of 50, of course, that's not wonderful. But, uh, you know, when you're a teenager, that's everything, right? You know, it's that sort of unbeatable, uh, you know, thing. And uh, so, how's Elaine? Not good. She lives in Scarborough, a suburb of Toronto. And she's been in and out of uh, group homes, um, the uh, um, psych ward. Uh, she's a teenage prostitute. She's on uh, drugs. Uh, she has a drinking problem. She wants to come to Montreal and quit uh, drinking. That's how my mom explained it anyway. And, and Joe, you've been to AA, yeah. Could you take her to a few meetings and be a power of example? Yeah, totally. You know, yeah, sign me up. How complicated could that be? <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, live and let live, sure. Yeah, easy does it, I'm ready. One day at a time, let's go. And uh, so I was bringing her to meetings, and I joined a group to be a power of example. We went to a meeting a day because she drank uh, every day, and uh, uh, you know, uh, I was making coffee at this group. I was saying I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic, but teenage alcoholics and lying just go hand in hand. It's a survival technique, right? You don't walk into the bar and say I'm 15, but I'm really thirsty. Can we work something out? You act like you own the place and you're going to fire this guy if he doesn't get you a drink right away. And, uh, you know, you, you just sort of fake your way through it. So in AA, I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic. Look you right in the eye. Right? Easy peasy. Right? Just another day at the office for me. Right? I, I didn't mean it. I wasn't admitting anything. I was just fitting in. I was hiding out in plain view. Because I saw what happened to the people who put up a bit of a fight. You surrounded them in the corner, right? you know? And so I was just sort of, uh, sort of float through here with telling everybody what they wanted to hear. And, um, and so this was me being a, a power of example of uh, sincerity. You can fake that, you got it made, right? You know? uh, but it's all I had, right? And, and what happened? You see, I wasn't going to, I, like I tried getting sober for myself, didn't work. Right? I, I, I tried for people I loved, didn't work. Tried for goals I wanted to achieve, didn't work. But the core of it was step one was not drinking for the rest of my life. That seemed a little harsh. <laughs> but uh, is the rest a lot easier? No. The rest takes a lot of integrity didn't have any integrity. There was no way I could do this. And the difference between helping my cousin get sober and me getting sober was I identified her as a life worth saving. And I didn't feel that way about me. You know, dying a tragic alcoholic death seemed more fitting for me than living sober. So. But Elaine, you know, I don't know what my exit strategy was exactly, but it was something about, you know, she gets over, she tells someone, they tell someone, 
they tell me, you know, and then this wave of sobriety would happen, and I'd sneak out the back door and die my tragic alcoholic death, and, you know, and, you know, my life would have had purpose, right? How artistic. And uh, that's what I was signed up for. Uh, but uh, I got invited to a young people's conference, and, and people talked my language there. It was like they just talked about addiction and recovery in a different language, right? And it spoke to me. You know, they were starting bands or getting back in their bands or going on trips and doing things that all of a sudden, maybe this wasn't a provisional life they were living. Maybe they were actually getting more out of camping trips than I was, just being hunched over at the campfire, you know, only caring about how much beer there is left, right? They're doing all sorts of adventure hiking and camping and things like that. And I go, well, that could be kind of cool. And uh, so I, I kind of got sober that way. So what I'm saying about that is that was the AA I came into. And, uh, and no one said, Joe, you can't help her until you've done the 12 steps. They just said, How's, how are you doing? How's Elaine doing? Great. Are you going to a meeting tomorrow? You want to ride? We'll pick you up. Right? And uh, uh, so it was, uh, I mean, Montreal's kind of, uh, you know, they would, uh, you know, like the big book was there at every meeting. And we knew someone read that book, and it was probably pretty good. Didn't know who, but you know, there was no reason to think it wasn't a perfectly good book. No one quoted it. There weren't big book meetings in the AA that I got into. We had speaker meetings, we had discussion meetings. There would be meetings where people would read something. It would be Living Sober, which had just come out. You know, and why would reading a book about dead alcoholics be more inspirational than people who are still alive today. And Living Sober was 40 years of AA's collective experience, and the other one was the first four years, probably a great historical document. But, you know, we would choose Living Sober. And we would read uh, from Grapevine. We would read from Cain to Believe. These were just newer things. And it wasn't anti-big book, it just, it wasn't part of the AA culture that I grew up in. And when I, I, I went from there to getting a summer job that kept me in Calgary for five years. I mean, you know, my uh, 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 friends uh, of the uh, Islamic faith will say, man makes plans and Allah laughs. And uh, I planned on going to Calgary for the summer and going back to university. I got offered a management position and ended up staying out there for five years. So I got in, you know, involved in young peoples and the general AA population out in, in Alberta, and I traveled a lot. So I got to see AA in a lot of different communities, small towns, rural AA, urban AA. And then I moved to Toronto, and Toronto, was a different, like I told you about the cultural difference between Montreal and Toronto. But in the young people's community, it was still pretty, pretty sort of rebellious, pretty not, you know, nonconformist. You know, we would have young people's conferences called Stark Raving Sober. Right? <laughs> you know, it wasn't like a quote out of the big book or any book, it was just something we thought up, right? You know? 
uh, do it sober, A, E-H, right, you know, sort of, uh, you know, like, uh, and, uh, you know, we hand out those flyers at the uh, area, and they knew there was something nefarious about what we meant by do it sober. <laughs> But they didn't know what it was, so they took the poster to their meetings in case someone wanted to go. And so we kind of like sort of, you know, we doing it our way, right, was kind of the thing. And then I, I outgrew that, and, you know, I'm getting into mainstream AA. And, and people in Toronto today, uh, or maybe anywhere in AA today, would be shocked that I was sober 10 or 11 years before I ever owned or read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And well, weren't you in AA, right? You know, like, like, is AA the book? Is AA the steps? Is AA the meetings? I, I don't know. I mean, that, that isn't a, a skill testing question, but it's a matter of opinion, isn't it? And so, and why did I ever read the big book? Because they had big book meetings in uh, Toronto. And um, when I was sober 10 years, someone gave me Pass It On as a present for my 10 year uh, anniversary, and which is uh, a history of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I read because there was something very different about me at 10 years sober from when I was like 10 days or 10 months sober. I had, uh, what do you call it, an attention span. <laughs> I, I, I could read a book. Like when I was new, I, I couldn't get through a pamphlet in one sitting, right? It was, oh, I should put another record on. Oh, I wonder if Sally likes me. <laughs> oh, where am I going to go this weekend, right? Like, I couldn't get through a whole paragraph without going off somewhere else, right? It just, it, you know, if, if my sobriety was reliant on reading 164 pages of anything, maybe I would have made it. I don't know. It, it, I wasn't put to that test. But I, I became sufficiently interested in the book Alcoholics Anonymous from the history of alcohol. Anonymous that I got one and read one and said, hey, this is cool idea here in this, uh, like I've done the steps, but the idea of like doing resentments first and in step five, I go, that's great. That's like doing someone else's inventory. Here's all the people that piss me off. Man, you know, like, let me, give me another page. I'm, you know, let's go, right? You know, let's, like, give me a couple more days. I don't want to leave anyone off this list, right? And uh, I thought that was, you know, crafty and brilliant, right? Uh, you know, so I saw a lot of good in it. And um, about the language, like, I would read how it works if I was asked to at a meeting. But remember, I'm the guy who's just trying to win your approval, right? I would read it like it was a script to a play. I was playing a role. God could and would if he were sought. <laughs> how was that? Right? You know, like it didn't matter what the words meant, right? Just how was the delivery, right? You know, and, and that's you know where I was at in AA. Uh, when we were in Hamilton, uh, and uh, John and Greg joined us in uh, uh, the the secular Ontario AA roundup, something we do every two years. It was our second year. Thanks for coming just great. 
at, but he, you were in a uh, panel about the steps with uh, Jeffrey M., who wrote a book called Getting Sober Without God. Now, he has an interesting take because he's, uh, you know, sort of a, has a millennial mentality, but he's not immersed in our community. He's not trying to placate to all of the different, you know, raging atheists and the uh, somethingists who, you know, there's something, I just don't want to call it, you know. So, so he just wrote it in his own language, right? That made sense for someone his age in a liberal society, what, you know, getting, you know, into addiction is like and getting recovery is like, and it's a great book. And you told the story of being brought into this 12-step big book AA, and it was, you know, like you had two choices, right? Put up a fight or save your life and fit in, right? And would I have done that? I bet I would have. Right, you know, take other people through the steps. Tell them you gotta get on your knees like the original uncle did. <laughs> did they? We'll get to that. But um, you know, the, but there was a lot of um, mythology about that. About you know, about there was there was something now called watered down AA. Never heard of that when I got sober. Every sobriety was good sobriety. You know, there, you know there, there wasn't a wrong way to get sober in the AA I came into. And now all of a sudden there's the winners and the losers and, the, you know. And so, you know, I, I kind of want to fit in. And, you know, so I, you know, if you're going to quote the big book, I'm going to quote the whole goddamn chapter, right? You know, and, uh, you know, I would memorize it. And, and I would have, like, like it, you know, we would have these debates, right? Because it's full of uh, contradictions. And uh, so you can easily, you know, like any, anything that you, you study religiously, whether it is or is not religious, is not the point, but, but the, taking it as a literal text. And, and you see, in Montreal, that would never happen because it's American. And just the Montreal attitude would be, I mean, they wouldn't disrespect it, but they were, they, it's not that they wouldn't take it seriously, but they sure weren't going to take it literally. That's just how they are, right? You know, and, and it's a great program, and, and they have a little, add a little je ne sais quoi to it, and then you have Quebecois AA, right? And uh, so it, so it was, ne there was never any insistence on exactly, you know, as it was laid out in the big book, blah, 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 right? And so I felt like I didn't belong in AA anymore. Because, like, you know, all these people, you know, are talking about their sponsors, sponsors, sponsor, and how these four generations of AA members walked each other through the big book, and that's how they got sober. And, okay, Joe, tell your story. Well, not my story. I only got one story. I'm, you know, I'm not going to go that far to try. You know, by this time in my sobriety, uh, how was I doing? Well, I, that when I got here, I needed your approval, and I was willing to do anything to get it. Now, I wanted your approval, but I wasn't willing to do anything to get it. I, you know, I, I found uh, my value somewhere along the way in working through the steps, and I, I knew what I was willing to take a bullet for, and you know, there was a, a line that I wouldn't cross most of the time, right? So. 
uh, I, I really, you know, I got involved in service because they don't read the big book over and over at the district table and, you know, in our hospitals and institutions. And, and, you know, the further you go in service, the more secular it gets, right? They only mention God once in the traditions, never in the concepts. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's, no one's turning it over at PI, everyone's, who's going to go to this meeting and who's going to go there, right? You know, it's, it's roll up your sleeves, right? It was, it, it was a more interesting conversation and it was helping keep me sober. And then when I studied the history of AA, I, I found that I wasn't such an outsider. Because what's the classic story? of how AA started, right? It wasn't because Bill got sober. That isn't the beginning of AA. Who, whose sobriety date is the founding of AA? Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob, the second one. And, and Ebby before him. But we write out of history the ones who didn't, didn't make it to the finish line, which is unfortunate, you know. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and what was the story of Bill even meeting uh, Bob? Bill had this white light experience, but he's in Akron now. He's thirsty. His white light experience isn't helping him. He needs another alcoholic to talk to. And he went to talk to Bob, not for Bob's salvation, for his own. And who was the only one of those two men who never had a drink after those two men meet, met? Bill, not Bob. Bob would get sober and sober up more AAs than any of the early AA members, but you know, this was AA's story. And I thought, well, that's kind of how I got sober, right? I didn't have 12 steps to share with Elaine, my cousin, right? I just, it was eyeball to eyeball, alcoholic to alcoholic. You know, our currency was experience. That happened to me too. That happened to me too. And what do we do about that? I don't know, let's go ask so-and-so. You know, that was what AA was. It was the language of the heart. It was, you know, an oral tradition. It wasn't codified in any, any way. Um, this is something you don't see that often, is me picking up the big book to read from it uh, when I'm speaking. But uh, I'm, I'm reading uh, um, a... Uh, a copy of the manuscript of a book called uh, Writing the Big Book, The Birth of AA by an uh, AA historian by the name of Bill uh, S. And um, it's, the, it's a historical document about the years of, of creating this book. And it, it, it sort of demystifies some of the sort of uh, folk you know, tales about what really happened. He corroborates uh, what has been said against things that are in the Rockefeller, uh, you know, uh, archives or in Lois's diary or letters from AA member to AA member. So it, like, it, it took less than seven years to write this book, but it took him seven years to do the research on this. And it, it, I assure you it's gonna, it's, it's quite scholarly. It's like 800 pages. It's a nerd's uh, mecca. <laughs> right? 
but uh, you know, it's uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm going through this, and and you know, things like people assume the book was written in the chronological order, and and the chapters weren't written in the chronological order. Uh, here here's something that was it, you've probably heard before in a vision for you. Um, Let's see, so he's talking about this poor suffering alcoholic. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness such as few do. He will be the, at the jumping off place. He will wish for the end. Pretty cheery, isn't it? <laughs> this is a vision for you. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have shown how uh, we got out from under, and uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, have you a sufficient substitute, the man asked. The man, and I uh, apologetically read it as it was written. Uh, yes, there is a substitute, and it is vastly more th than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Like, uh, life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus, we find the fellowship, and so will you. The fellowship. Not the program. The fellowship. And this chapter, the, the last two chapters that were written were how it works and into action. The steps hadn't even been created. There were no 12 steps being worked by the stories in the back of the first book because the person who invented them hadn't invented them yet. Now they were sort of a, a sort of characterized, uh, you know, it wasn't like total fiction, but no one worked them exactly as written because they hadn't been written yet. That's what the point I'm making. There were variations of six-step programs. They were different in Akron than they were in New York. They were different from New York member to New York member. We know very little about the New York meetings. We know a lot more because of Dr. Bob and the old timers about the Akron meetings. In fact, I read in recent history that Hank was talking about the first three AA meetings, uh, one in Brooklyn, one in Manhattan, one in Akron, and he said that one of them has prayer. <laughs> one of them. <laughs> one of them, right? Like, we knew that there were many religious people in the New York meetings, but according to Hank P., it was only, you know, the get on your knees, you know, seven-step prayer. You know, that was kind of an Akron thing. And, and we think, oh, we're, we're starting this, this brave new world with secular AA. Maybe it kind of started that way. I, I don't know for sure. Uh, we were talking about trying to find the real origins of uh, secular AA, right? You know, it's largely thought that the first uh, atheist and agnostics AA meetings, or AA for atheists and agnostics, started in Chicago in 1975. And you were hearing about um, uh, you know, people in St. Louis who were having secular meetings before then. And it's not to say that a non-secular meeting is, 
is explicitly religious. And I'm sure, just like the Montreal meetings were different than the Toronto meetings, you know, the AA, you know, that fifth tradition, when people talk, like I go in these Facebook groups, what is the primary purpose of AA? Which AA? There's 120,000 meetings. Which primary purpose are you talking about? Because tradition five is that uh, each group defines its primary purpose. There's no the there. There's no the primary purpose for Alcoholics Anonymous. Each group is autonomous. One, member, one requirement for membership. A group decides everything by its group conscience. Each group decides its own purpose, its own raison d'etre. And, and, you know, but there are a lot of people who think there's the AA, and uh, it's keeping them sober for sure. Uh, this book was uh, given to me uh, when I was in San Francisco at uh, the AA History Symposium, because this is a guy from San Francisco. In the second edition of the big book, uh, Earl M's story is called Physician Heal Thyself, and that was him at 18 months of sobriety. This book is 35 years in AA uh, with a little bit more experience. Uh, and um, he started a group uh, in um, uh, San Francisco. It was called the Forum Group. It still exists today. And at the time, they had not a 12-step program, but their AA meeting had a 10-step program. And I'll just read the first uh, three uh, steps for you. Uh, we realize deeply that we cannot handle mind-altering drugs safely. Our attempts to do so court disaster. That's step one. Two, as we commit ourselves to abstinence, we welcome nature's healing process into our lives. Three, in the forum group, we discuss our common problems in recovery. To do so hastens healing. Now, are they like empirically different processes than what are described in AA's original step one, two, three? I don't think so. I think the principles can, in one can be found in the other, but the description is quite different. This was 1965 that this meeting started, and it's still going now. So, you know, you know, what is AA, right? Like, I felt like uh, an imposter in my own community, you know, for a while, until I, uh, and I was forced to study AA history, really, because of the skirmish in Toronto between the agnostic groups and inner group, and Indianapolis was going through the same things, and other places have gone through the same things. Uh, I mean, we're nothing special. All underrepresented uh, populations in AA have been badly treated by the tyranny of the majority in AA. The first women, the first African Americans, the first gays and lesbians. Uh, you know, they didn't welcome the LGBTQ plus community with open arms. You know, they were worried about what's, what respectable alcoholics would think if we allowed sexual deviants into our lives. That's us. That's our history, right? You know, and it's not an AA peculiar problem, but you know, AA isn't isn't doesn't transcend the community we come from, does it? I don't think so, anyway. And so, 
you know, my AA journey has been like an individual journey. Everybody's AA journey has been an individual journey. And, and uh, someone was asking about all these secular groups, you know, how are they doing? Are they the new AA? Well, they are a new AA. They are a sample of AA, not the ultimate example of what AA should be. Because every time one starts, a back-to-basics meeting starts, too, right across the road or across town. And they sober up people their way. And we sober up people our way. And people pick and choose. And honestly, if there was a meeting that got everybody sober, our group would do what they do. I'm sure of it. Your group would do what they do. I'm sure of that. You know, what do we care about? Drunks, right? It's not a pride thing, right? We're trying to do what we think is best. We were at a meeting in St. Louis uh, yesterday. It was wonderful, and there was a new guy there, young 20s, right? You know, and he was being persuaded by someone who felt this to his core that all he needed to do is to buy the big book, read the big book, and his salvation would be found. And what the guy is probably saying is, my experience is, I bought the big book, I read the big book, and my salvation was found, right? And, and that is as sincere as can be. And, uh, but whenever you talk about, you were talking about, don't include me in that we, right? <laughs> you know? uh, and, uh, and especially when people say, you need to this or you have to that, uh, I'm, uh, my open mind is something different. <laughs> and uh, it is planning my rebuttal. And, uh, but when people share their experience, I don't care what their core belief is. I don't care what their worldview is. I identify, that happened to me. I went through that. I felt that way. Right? And it's only when we start explaining to each other how the world works, we go, I don't agree with that. I don't think I'm powerless, or I don't think uh, alcoholism is an allergy, or, you know, we're going to fight over the details of what we use to explain all of this, but we never seem to fight over the experience. That seems to be shared. Alcoholic to alcoholic. Uh, I can tell you, it was true in Toronto, it was true in Indianapolis when we got there, it was true in St. Louis when we got there. And it's going to be true on our little road on, on the way back, enjoying AA meetings on our way back. Uh, thanks for having me come down and spend some time with you. It's been an honor to, to be here, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we have a place till 10 o'clock. There's more food. Uh, Joe's here. Chat with him. Um, so party continues. <laughs> <laughs> Very important people who made this whole night possible. John. Yes.
And that's another episode of AA Beyond Belief. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, if you'd like to help out our site and podcast, there's a couple of things you can do. First of all, go over to iTunes and leave us a review, hopefully a favorable one. You can also help out financially with either a recurring or one-time contribution. You can do this by setting up small recurring donations at our Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash aabeyondbelief or through PayPal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief. And you can always visit our site, aabeyondbelief.org, and click on the Donate button. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast.